0: Welcome to the Bethesda Christian Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit yourbcc.org or download our mobile app from the App Store.
1: Just want to let you know Pastor Dunn wasn't expecting that. So uh, we hope you loved all the Wonderful blessings folks had for you and we're not done yet. 82 years ago this month, Bethesda Christian Church was founded. And if you listened closely in that video and you heard what Mrs. Beal said, you heard that our pastor, Annalie Dunn, has been employed by the church for more than half of that 82-year history. In 1973, she began working At Bethesda's school, its first year of existence, she was a charter teacher teaching first grade. And in later years, she moved to high school. She taught high school math and high school calculus. In 1994, she moved from the school side to the church side, leading the adult education department, among other things here at the church, Then she became one of our pastors. And in 2004, she became Bethesda's third senior pastor. From 1973 to 2016, that's 43 years of service to this church. And the church honors that today. And we want to honor Pastor Dunn with a token of our appreciation, acknowledging those 43 years so we have a presentation for her if you would welcome her as she comes acknowledge 43 years of service. We took one day's wage and we put it together 43 times to honor those 43 years of service. So we have that and we want to present that to you in this, a keepsake box that mark, marks the occasion of today. And it says, Pastor Annalee B. Dunn, June 5th, 2016, his truth endures to all generations. Psalm 100, verse 5. Now, this box is a little heavy because there's more than just that gift acknowledging your 43 years. But this box is full of love and great wishes from all of this, your congregation. They have taken the time. Oh, wow to they've taken the time to write cards to you and it is just stuffed full of cards and uh, notes for you so we hope that you now that you have time you'll be able to sort through those (laughs) and read them and see all the love and the care that this congregation has for you thank you and we bless you
0: There's
1: more under here. And there's a little more under here, but I wasn't allowed to touch them.
0: (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Now, before we let Pastor preach... And we're going to let her preach, okay? I know we've taken a little extra time this morning, but she's got something to say. So I want you to just relax a little bit and know we might run a few minutes over, but that's okay. Because this is Pastor Dunn's final message to you as our senior pastor. And before she does that, we're going to bless her with a prayer. So I have the ministers and we're going to just lay our hands on her and bless her. Thank you, Lord. Thank you Lord. <laughs> thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you, Lord, for Pastor Annalee Dunn and James and just the great integrity that they have shown us, the great example that they put forth for all of us. God, thank you for speaking to her heart. Thank you for guiding her by your Holy Spirit, Lord. Thank you for the leadership that they have showed to us and to this church over many years. God, they were not always at the head, but they served They serve diligently, behind the scenes, doing what you had them to do. We thank you for it, God. And right now we commit them into your hands for your love, for your grace, for your direction. God, their time is not through, and we know that. And we trust that you have great things in store for them. God, as we put them into your hands, use them. Lord, continue to fill them with your Holy Spirit, Lord. God, that as they go forward, that your word would stay true to all generations. God, and you would use Annalee Dunn and James Dunn to that end, God. But also, Lord, as they have a little extra time, God, and as we've seen in these videos, God, bless them with some family time. Bless them with Ethan and and Evan and their daughters, God. Lord, that they'd be able to spend some really nice time with them, God, and some blessing. Lord, you're good. Your mercy is wonderful, and your truth endures to all generations. We love you and we thank you, God. And so we just commit... Pastor Annalee, into James, into your love and into your care, in Jesus' holy and precious name, Amen. Amen. Amen.
0: Thank you.
1: Bless you. God bless you.
0: Bless you. Thank you. Bless you. Thank you. Bless you too. you. <laughs> bless you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. You may be seated. I don't know how you expect me to just keep going now. <laughs> Thank you for that tribute. Now that I've seen that box, I want to go back and read them all, and I'll just have to wait and learn patience on the way. One of the things that is hardest for me to believe is that over 40 years has gone by working here at the church. I tell you, time can fly sometimes, and you just can't even believe how, what year it is. As a kid, if you'd have said, I'd retire in 2016, I would have thought 2016, that was a date that didn't even exist on my radar, that we'd ever get this far. But knowing that the Lord is good, he supplies, and here we are. So this is our opportunity, my opportunity, I guess, today to leave you with some direction, leave you with some words of some things that... Not only have I learned over these years, but hopefully you have as well, because indeed his truth endures to all generations, and if we know the truth, the truth will set us free, and that truth will certainly keep us. The last couple weeks we've been looking at our pastors, looking at what the truth is that we have passed down from generation to generation and how we are molded by the culture and the times that we are in. Because every generation faces different attacks from Satan, different ways of uh, things that happen that shape us. Church was born in the Depression times. N.D. was shaped by that, those events. We looked at her Bible and how she wrote in it. Because she didn't have a lot of extra money. She couldn't buy notebooks and keep notes anywhere else. She just preached right from there. But after World War II, times began to change. And the next generations were molded not in times of depression, but in times of great prosperity. And James Beale came to be the the pastor of this church in times of prosperity, but also times of generational change as rebellion began to take hold of the nation and take us in a different direction. But with a shepherd's heart, he continued to write. And We looked at his notes, how he highlighted everything, and, and the notes that he had, and uh, the booklets that he wrote, the books that he wrote, the radio uh, messages that he gave, as he extended truth into a world often that did not want to hear it. Bibles change for me as well. They're all over here on the table. I was going to take time to show them, but we'll move along this morning. But I came in at a time when Bibles began to change because so many different translations came into the picture. And the book Bible I used at the beginning is sitting over there on the table. It weighs a ton and it's impossible to really carry along because It had four different translations side by side in it. They were parallel. I think they have a picture of it they put up here now. That helped me see the different ways that people were taking the original scriptures. And I thought four parallel versions was really a lot. But today, with the change in technology, I don't just look at four translations I have a computer and that list, there's just like a hundred translations of English Bibles right now. Not to mention you can go look up all of the Hebrew and Greek and the concordances that you used to have to buy and how burdensome they were to look up everything. Now you can do it in a, a keystroke. Look up everything. Find what you want. And we have access to more information of biblical truth than we have ever had in the history of the world. But what amazes me is that with all of our access to the Bible, all of our access to truth, we seem to stray farther and farther from it every single year. Our country is is moving farther and farther away from the truth of Jesus Christ. And we have a commission before us to take the truth to every generation, But how can we take that truth in a world that really doesn't want to hear it? So this morning what I'd like to leave you with as we've been talking the last really year and a half about the change of seasons that we are coming into a season of spring a a time of new beginnings in the Lord just some things for you to understand and get on board with If we want to be people that can change our culture, make a dent in the generations that are to follow, and make sure the truth of the word of God continues from one generation to the next. To understand the harvest field that is before us. Because if we are to go into the harvest field equipped and able to make an impact in a world that needs to hear about Jesus Christ, then we have to understand what it is that we need to do and what methods the Lord will use to get us to that place. And to do that, we turn to the word of God because that's where we always turn. And if you have your Bibles, you can move to the book of Joshua where we will look this morning at lessons of Joshua and Israel as they began an impossible task before them as well. And that was the task of going in to the promised land. Transition was taking place. The children of Israel had spent 40 years in a wilderness. The generation that Joshua is about to leave has basically spent their entire life in the wilderness. Some of them were young enough as young children to be born in Egypt and leave, but most of them had actually been born in the wilderness. And now they were facing a a new way of doing things. They were getting a new leader. Moses was going to be called to his heavenly home, and Moses would not lead them into the promised land. That would be Joshua's job. And they were facing an absolutely impossible task because they were to go into the land and conquer it. They were to drive out the people that were there. But they were completely unequipped for that task. They weren't an army. They didn't have a lot of weapons. They hadn't been trained that way. All they had was the knowledge that that's what God wanted them to do. And so they began the task of preparing and getting ready. Moses had already made it very clear that his successor was going to be Joshua. And he spent his last few days giving instructions to the children of Israel. He wrote down the law again. He rehearsed it with them. Told them what blessings would come if they followed the word. What curses would come if they failed to follow the word. And he stressed their role as God's covenant people. That they were supposed to be the light. They were supposed to be the ones who would bring salvation to the world. Because they were example to the world of what it meant to worship the true and living God. This was a generation raised in the wilderness. They were aware of God's provisions, how they always had enough food, how their clothes didn't wear out, how God had been with them in every area. But they were also a generation completely aware that their parents had not followed the direction God had given them, that they were in the wilderness because of the rebellion of the generation before them. But they understood Their future was not to stay in the wilderness. Their future was to conquer. Their future was to do what other generations refused to do, and they were to go into the land with the help of God and make it their home. I see this story as so parallel to today because for us to conquer our nation today for the Lord is almost as much of an impossible task for us, as it was for Joshua and his generation back in Bible times. Because Satan has gained great grounds in our culture. The church has become timid. The church has become self-involved. The church is not really making an impact in society because we've gone silent. We don't want to stand up to what the culture is saying. We don't want to get too involved, and so we're content often. To just come together, meet together, sing, praise the Lord, and talk about the good things of the Lord. But we don't really want to be conquerors. We don't really want to engage. We don't really want to step into a new season and do what the Lord has called us to do. But it's time to regain what we have lost. It's time to step up and be the generation that God wants us to be. Because we need to stop believing the lies that Satan has told our culture and begin to teach the truth. You know, Satan has already been defeated. The cross managed that. And all he is really is the father of lies. But he's such a good liar that he can convince almost anybody he's telling the truth. And when we buy into his lies then he wins. But Jesus Christ is the owner of truth. And as his people, we have the truth. And so we have to take the truth to every generation and break the power of the lies that Satan has laid on the nation and show them the way back to God. So how do we do it? How do you prepare? I want to give you five things to know and practice in the days ahead, if you want to change the direction that our country's going in, the direction the church is going in, if you want to be part of the harvest field that God is calling us to be a part of and see souls won for Him, I leave you with this message. First one, the first thing to prepare for the battle that's ahead. Because understand, we are in a war. We are in a war for the souls and hearts of people. People that don't have eternal life. People in a next generation that's confused and broken. And if we are going to conquer for the Lord, if we are going to win these people to Jesus Christ, then we have to have a battle plan. We have to be prepared. The first thing is we have to understand that sometimes there's a new way to do things. Joshua chapter 3. We start there. The children of Israel had spent 40 years in a wilderness. And they always knew where to go and how to do something. Because the Lord had made it obvious what his provision would be and where his spirit was. They had a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And when that cloud moved, they moved. When that cloud stayed, they stayed. They knew where God's presence was, because God's presence was in that cloud and in that fire. And they always knew when it was time to go, when God was about to do something, because they could see the cloud, they could see the fire, and they would move with it. In Deuteronomy 31, the last mention of that cloud is Joshua and Moses together, going into the tent of meeting, going in to talk to the Lord. And it says, as they presented themselves at that tent of meeting... The Lord appeared in the tent in a pillar of cloud, and the cloud stood over the entrance to the tent. The children of Israel could see the visible presence of God in that cloud, and they knew that cloud was over Moses, and they saw that cloud over Joshua, and they knew that God's presence was there and talking to them whenever they saw that cloud. But now as Joshua begins to take them into the promised land, they don't have the cloud anymore. Joshua 3, verse 19. Joshua said to the Israelites, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and Jebusites. See, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, choose twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priests who carry the Ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage during all, all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. No more cloud to follow. God was changing the way they would be directed. And Joshua said, now the ark of the covenant is going to go forward. And the Levites are going to start. We, they had to cross the Jordan River to get into the promised land. And that river was high, that river was deadly. There was no way they could cross it. But they had to listen and do what they were instructed to do and step into the water. Step in just believing that that water was going to stop as soon as they put their foot into it. And so the people were gathered there. The Levites had the ark. They were ready to cross. But can you imagine the faith it took to actually put your feet in that water? Wondering if it was really going to stop? Wondering if it was really going to be possible to cross that way? Because they'd heard stories about crossing the Red Sea, but they'd never actually seen it happen. Most of them were not born yet. But now God was going to show them a new plan and a new direction. And that was to go across, following the ark, instead of the cloud. It's interesting not only to read what this generation did, but to understand what they didn't say. Because it's in what they didn't do that you learn as much about what God wants as what they did do. The minute they heard Joshua's words, you don't read anywhere that they began to say, Well, that's not the way you cross a river. Moses didn't do it that way. Moses just stood there with his arms out and the wind blew. And and, you know, Moses, he actually went first. And Joshua, well, why are you in the back? Why are you making these people step in first? If you're the leader, why aren't you stepping in first? Are you afraid it's not going to work? You know, why are you making them be the test case? Or where's the cloud? How come the cloud's not here? We always follow a cloud. I don't know what happened to the cloud. Joshua, what did you do to make the cloud go away? How come we don't have a cloud? You don't read any of that. Because they were prepared for a new move of God and a new way to go. And they didn't second guess Joshua the way their parents had always second guessed Moses. Because they understood if they were going to be conquerors, they were going to have to get together in unity. See, for the harvest field today, we've got to be people prepared to work together in unity. And we must be prepared for God's new methods, for the way God wants us to work, and not the way that we want to work. We build on the past. The past builds our faith, and the past is good. We always want to rehearse the stories of God's faithfulness and goodness to us. But the past doesn't direct us. Jesus Christ directs us. And if he wants us to go in a new direction, then we follow his lead, not what everybody else wants to do. For this harvest field, people are in a whole different place than they have ever been. And it's going to take a new move of God and a new direction to understand them and make a difference in their lives because it will take new methods to really reach them. And we have to be prepared for that. What's that new direction look like? What are the new methods? I don't know that yet. But I do know that the Lord gives us the information we need when we need it. And if we are just faithful to his direction, he will provide the way. Having done all to stand, we just stand and wait for him to tell us what to do. But he will. But we have to be united by his divine leadership. Because if we start to second-guess leadership and ask all kinds of negative questions, we'll never go. See, to conquer what Satan has taken today, we need to understand the lies he's telling us so that we can tear down those strongholds. And one of the first lies Satan has told our culture, told the church today, is that we're supposed to question all authority. We're not supposed to listen to anybody tell us what to do. We don't want to be sheep led to a slaughter. You know, we don't want to be told what to do. We want to make up our own minds about everything. And so we often sin as judge and jury over every questionable direction because if it's not the direction we want, then we're going to talk about it. We're going to discuss it. We're going to fuss about it. This generation that Joshua led, listen to him. And they did not second-guess him and talk about everything that they wanted to do. If we're going to conquer the world today, we have to understand that God has divine leadership and get behind it and move as one unit like an army prepared for battle. The chaos in our nation today is not going to be overcome by a bunch of people doing whatever is right in their own eyes. God gives leadership, and the church of Jesus Christ has always been built on one Lord, one faith, and one baptism, and people following the shepherd that God has ordained for the local church. That's a group of people that makes an impact because they understand that God's methods are not always the methods he's used in the past or the methods we think we want We follow Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ leads us through the people he chooses. Second lesson they had to learn after understanding that God can do things a new way was that God requires 100% obedience to his word. Joshua 5, verse 2, says, At that time the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites again. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the Israelites at Gebeth Haraloth. Now this is why he did so. All those who came out of Egypt, all the men of military age, died in the wilderness on the way after leaving Egypt. All the people that came out had, not, had been circumcised, but all the people born in the wilderness during the journey from Egypt had not. The Israelites had moved about in the wilderness 40 years until all the men who were of military age when they left Egypt had died, since they had not obeyed the Lord. For the Lord had sworn to them that they would not see the land he had solemnly promised their ancestors to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So he raised up their sons in their place, and these were the ones Joshua circumcised. They were still uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. And after the whole nation had been circumcised, they remained where they were in camp until they were healed. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. So the place has been called Gilgal to this day. Would they accept circumcision as necessary to follow the plan and purpose of God? See, they've already seen that God is with them. They've just crossed through the Jordan River and saw that by faith God did part the sea. They have come on the other side. They know that what Joshua said was true and they knew that God was with them because of the miracle that just took place. But now God stops them on a dime and says, even though I'm with you, I want you to understand something. I expect you to obey everything that I've said. Not just pick and choose the parts you like and what you think you want to do, but I expect 100% obedience. This was not the best time to circumcise everybody. They're on the plains of Jericho. The people in Jericho can see what's happening to them. They are now incapacitated. They've been humbled. Uh, Everyone can see. They can't even fight right now. It doesn't make sense to take your whole army and incapacitate them right in front of the enemy's walls and expect anything to happen. But by faith, they understood if they were God's people, they were going to have to do it God's way. And their obedience wasn't partial. Joshua didn't say we'll start with this group and we'll circumcise them first and then as soon as they're healed, we'll move on to the next group. That way all our enemies will know that, you know, uh, we're prepared just in case they come along uh, and we'll move through until everybody's finished. No, they did it all at once. They humbled themselves before their God and let God take care of them. And the miracle here is all those people behind the walls of Jericho, They had no clue what to do with that. They could have walked out and destroyed all of Israel right then and there. But the Bible says they were scared to death of Israel. Because they were scared to death of a God that would so humble his people that way that they didn't want to get involved with it. That was just too unusual. Because Satan never knows what to do when God's people aren't afraid to die when God's people understand eternal life is theirs, when nothing this world has to offer is anything that we want, that confuses the enemy. They don't know how to handle praying people. They don't know how to handle people willing to lay down their lives for one another and willing to lay down their life for Jesus Christ. They just can't handle it. And they don't attack. Because the second lie, That Satan has told us, and that too often the church and the culture has bought, is that we have to make Christianity acceptable to people before they'll listen to the message. We don't want to be covenant people with a biblical worldview. We don't want to be people that give 100% to God. What we really want is to be Christian people, saved so we have eternal life, but we want to hold on to a secular worldview. We want to be successful in this world. We want things our way. We want to be comfortable. Those people were marked there on that side of Jordan as God's people. Circumcision was always the mark of covenant relationship with God, and they were not ashamed to be marked that way. And if we are going to be conquering people, we have stopped we have to stop being ashamed of being marked for Jesus Christ. We are different, and you need to get over it and be different. Stop acting like the world. You want success in this world? You can have it, but you'll never be a conqueror if you don't understand you have to be willing to lay down your life. You have to be marked for Jesus Christ everyone needs to know you belong to him and it is the kingdom of God that is the framework by which you make decisions and by which you live the framework of this world has nothing to offer and you're not going to follow it but we want to rewrite the rules we want to pretend that sin doesn't matter That we can get involved in some little things. And as long as we're pretty good Christians, everything will be all right. If there's one thing I hear over and over again from people, it's, they're good people. You know, they're doing absolutely nothing for the kingdom of God. But, you know, they're good people. God isn't interested in good people. He wants obedient people. And he wants 100% obedience from you to what he says. And we will never be successful in this coming harvest field if we are not 100% ready to do it God's way. Having a ministry is simply not an option. It is a requirement in the kingdom of God. And every single one of you must be involved in ministry work of some kind. There is no option to that. You have to do what is required in the harvest field. All these excuses. I'm too busy. I'm too tired. I am obligated elsewhere. I have other things to do. Do you think Jesus Christ is interested in your excuses? Or do you think he wants people that see the harvest field and will walk into it? I am so tired, and one of the great things about this being my last message, I can say anything I want. And so now I'm going to say it. I'm sick to death of excuses of people I talk to that are too busy with the affairs of this world to lead anybody to Jesus Christ. There is ministry work to be done. There's so much that needs to be done in this church And it could get done if all of you would step up to the plate and just do it But every time I talk to people that aren't doing anything all I get is a bunch of excuses Oh, you know as soon as my kids are done with school by the time your kids are done with school They're going to be out of the kingdom of God because you haven't modeled one thing about ministry And God wants you involved I'm too busy. I have to work all the time. Well, then get another job. You know, is he in charge or isn't he? And do you show it by the way you live your life? And it's time to clean up our families, to clean up our marriages. God is sick to death that there is no difference in the families of God's people and the families of the world. The divorce rate in the church is appalling. And most of it is because people simply don't want to obey God and do it his way. This isn't about what you want. It's about what he wants. And it's time to get on board. We're supposed to be people known for our honesty, our trustworthiness, our love and our grace. And we don't even show it to each other, let alone people outside the church. But he wants a clean church. He wants people that are ready to obey his word and show the world that when you obey God totally, he blesses, he watches over, he takes care of you, and you never have to worry about anything. The third thing that happened as they crossed the Jordan, verse 10 of Joshua 5, on the evening of the 14th day of the month, while camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated the Passover. Passover. See, they hadn't celebrated the Passover the whole time they were in the wilderness. They couldn't, because you had to be circumcised in order to participate in the Passover. And they hadn't been circumcised, so they couldn't do it. But now that they were circumcised, they were allowed to sit at the table of God and be part of the blessings that come with that meal. They were a new community. They were a blessed community. They were God's people. They were marked for God, and now they could come together at the Passover meal and see that their covenant blessings were theirs, but also covenant responsibilities. Because Passover was to be celebrated every year. That wasn't just the only time they were to remember. Our covenant responsibility is communion. We're going to get to that in just a little bit. Because we have a responsibility to sit at the table of God, and that means we come to it prepared. We come with clean hearts. We come without any offenses with anybody else. Because we know it's not optional. We know it's a point of blessing. And too often we've gotten sloppy about communion. We think, eh, it doesn't matter if I'm here or not, I got a hundred other things to do that Sunday, and we skip it. But it is not optional. God's covenant people circumcised in their hearts through baptism belong at his meal every time it's offered. Because the third lie Satan has brought into the church and the one we buy is I don't have to be part of a local church. I can be on my own. I I can come and go when I want. I don't have to really be involved. I can be involved in any ministry I choose. I don't have to be in a church. But you know, that's a lie. Because you do. You have to be part of God's people. You have to sit down with your fellow Christians in your fellow community and bear one another's burdens together. Pray for each other. Be in unity together. And you can't do that if you only come occasionally or if you hop around to a hundred other churches. You have to commit. You have to be a part. You have to know who your shepherd is. You have to be willing to be part of the sheep. And do what he has called you to do. Because the strength of the church of Jesus Christ is its unity. We are individuals and God has called us to individual callings, but it is together that we make up the body of Christ. Paul wrote it very well where one's the head, one's the eye, one's the feet, one's the leg. We are a body connected together. But you can't connect to the body if you're not here in the body and committed. To one body. But together as a church, we can begin to impact our world. The fourth preparation, verse 11. The day after Passover, that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened bread and roasted grain. The manna stopped the day after they ate this food from the land. There was no longer any manna for the Israelites. But that year, They ate the produce of Canaan. Fourth thing, if we're going to be anything, is we got to learn to feed ourselves. This was a generation completely raised on manna. God had always provided for them, always fed them. They never had to worry where their next meal was coming from because they always had a meal. They didn't always like that meal, but they had one. God always provided for them. They never went hungry. But now that they were in the promised land, the manna stopped. God didn't provide it anymore. They were able to eat what was in the land. And what a banquet that would be for them. People that had never really had much variety in food now can eat anything they want. But the problem with being able to eat anything they want was they were going to have to go get it themselves. No one was going to bring it to them. They would have to grow up. And they would have to feed themselves. What a transition that was. And again, what you don't hear. How are we supposed to fight and find food at the same time? You make us do all the work. How come, how come the manna stopped? Again, we've always had that. Now all of a sudden it's gone. I'm not sure you're leading us in the right direction to start with. Or why is God abandoning us? Why is he taking everything us away? Nothing's like it was. Now we have to work so hard. Because spring is the season when you'll work hard. But we don't want to work hard. We've become a nation and a church that expects everything to be done for us. We don't want to do it ourselves. We want somebody to do it for us. Because we think, if someone would just cater to me, the whole world will be fine. So I hear things all the time like, you know, I just love to worship God. I love to be at concerts. I love to be in the singing service. I love it when we raise our hands. I love it when I feel the presence of God. And I just want to be in God's presence all the time. And I say, yeah, that's good. But you know something? I didn't see you in Bible study last week. Oh, Bible study. Well, you know, I, that's all we, I always found that kind of dull. You know, I, I, I don't get a lot out of that. Get over it. And get there. Because it is not enough for you to feel God's presence. If you're gonna make an impact in this harvest field, you gotta know the Word of God. And you gotta know it beyond just, oh, I can quote a scripture when I need to. You gotta know the truth. People are gonna ask you questions. And that means you gotta dig. That means you gotta read. That means you gotta be at boring Bible studies. But whether they're boring or not is beside the point. You're going to learn something if you're open to being taught by Jesus Christ. I heard this one just this week. I I like to go to other churches because, you know, I like to hear preaching that makes me feel good. And, you know, I was just at one, and they just spoke affirmative words over me, and I just felt so good about myself. I felt like I could really do anything. And I said to this person, but you're not doing anything. You're not involved in any ministry in this church. Oh, I know that. But you know, I feel like I could. But you're not. Yeah, but I feel like I could. You're missing the point. I don't care how you feel about anything. What are you doing? But I feel, I just love it when people say positive things to me. And I'm going to speak positive things over myself every day now. Well, you can speak positive things from the time you get up to the time you go to sleep. Who cares about that? What are you doing for the kingdom of God besides sitting on a chair and talking positive to yourself? <laughs> I just like to sit in service. I don't want to be involved. And I get this from younger ones. Well, Sunday school starts too early, you know. Uh, that's a, I don't like to get up that early on Sunday. And really, I can't find a Sunday school class I like. They're all boring. Especially if I have to get up early to get there. Well, excuse me that Jesus Christ isn't on your schedule. That the whole entire church doesn't have to be rearranged to fit your time frame. Maybe we should have Sunday school at 10 o'clock at night so you can get there. But then you would just tell me another excuse. This is when it's offered, and this is when you get there. You know what the word is? Sacrifice. Sacrifice and obedience. Ooh, I don't like those words. I want you to tell me something that makes me feel good about myself. I don't feel good about myself when I have to sacrifice. Paul said it best I want to give you meat but you insist on milk because all you want is feel-good ideas. And see, that's the next lie that Satan has taught our nation and taught the church. And that lie is, it's all about how you feel. That it's your feelings that determine good or bad. It's your feelings that determine whether we should do something or not. If I don't feel like doing it, then I shouldn't have to do it. And I come to church and I don't feel the presence the way I think I should And When I prayed and I didn't feel the presence of God This isn't about what you feel, this is about what he says And he says when two or three are gathered together, his presence is here His presence is here right now, whether you feel it or not You don't have to feel anything, who cares what you feel Tomorrow you're going to change your feelings anyway I didn't feel the love from that person I went to their class but they didn't they, I didn't feel the love. What in the world does that even mean? What were they supposed to do? Give you a big hug? You know? Who cares how you feel? What does the word of God say? That's what we line up to. And then that companion lies well, I, I don't feel it, but you know, I, the Bible, you just make it say anything you want. So, how do I know that what you're saying is right? Because somebody else is going to say it different. That's what comes from sloppy Bible study. A not enough Bible study. There is a truth. And when we find that truth, you know it because this truth sets you free. But if you don't want to be a person of truth, if you want to be a person who just sits there and whines, go ahead. But you're never going to make it in the harvest field that's coming up. Because this. Harvest field requires investment. You're going to have to sacrifice. You're going to have to know the truth. And I'm going to tell you right now, you're not going to feel good in this harvest field. Because these people are hurt. These people are broken. These people require time. These people need help. And they're going to be difficult people. And you're not going to feel good all the time helping them. But if God is in it, God will provide. And then the fifth one. Verse 13. Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither he replied, But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Joshua walks out and he meets a stranger. And he doesn't know who it is. And he finds out it's the commander of the Lord. Joshua's first question is, Whose side are you on? And the answer was, I'm not on any side. I expect you to be on my side. See, too often I hear people, I want the Lord to be on my side and be in what we're doing. No, the Lord is not on our side. He never will be on our side. The Lord is not interested in our side. He does not want to be on our side. He wants you to be on his side, doing his work his way. That's the way he is. The Lord is in charge of the battle, not Joshua. And it was the Lord who gave Joshua the battle plans for Jericho and told him what to do. The commander of the Lord's army did not walk through the Israelite camp asking everybody for their opinion. What do you think of Joshua? Good guy, isn't he? Think you can follow Joshua? How about that Jordan River crossing? Do you like that? Jordan, hey, I pick, you know, you know do you, did you read anywhere where he asked the people what their opinion of him was? No. He picked Joshua and he talks to Joshua and he gave Joshua the battle plan for Jericho. And when Joshua went to the people, they didn't look at him and go, well, that's a crazy battle plan. Walking around, big walled city, biggest walled city ever. And what? We're just gonna blow a trumpets, go call come down? Seriously? That's that's your battle plan? No. They knew if God chose them, God would enable him. And God would make it possible for them to be victorious if they would understand leadership is divinely called by God, and we are only under shepherds of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ leads his church and nobody else leads it but we often forget who's in charge of the church. And so we think certain people are in charge. You may think the pastor's in charge, but actually most people think they're in charge. It's what I've found. And so they got opinion about everything. Boy, I sure heard enough opinions about me over the years. Because, oh, I don't know that you're called by God. I don't know who asked you for your opinion anyway. God is either in charge or he's not. And let me tell you something about this transition. If you do not believe 100% in your heart that Pastor Pat Visker has been called in the divine councils of the Almighty in heaven to lead this church, then you need to walk out today and never come back. Because we're not going anywhere if you don't get behind it. We have spent way too many years with people second-guessing leadership, and that day is over. If we are going to make it in the next harvest field, we have to understand who God calls and how God equips. And God is not interested one whit in your opinion of it. I don't care if you think someone preaches right or preaches wrong or inspires you or doesn't inspire you. That has absolutely nothing to do with the call of God on a person's life. We as leaders answer to Jesus Christ. We do not answer to you. And you answer to Jesus Christ as well. So get on board and move in the right direction. Because if you're sitting there still whining about what you like And what you don't And why this one you didn't pick that one Get over it The Lord picks And if you don't think we have enough sense to know who the Lord picks Then you shouldn't have been here in the first place Go somewhere where You like who makes you feel good But here you're going to be prepared For the harvest field And you're going to work It's a new season In a new direction And you got to get ready So we take communion. (laughs) Deacons and elders, if you'll prepare, we're going to get started. Because this is the fifth lie that Satan has told us and told the church, that somehow we're a democracy, that somehow we're entitled to our opinions, that somehow we can be successful with, you know, everybody just saying whatever they want, Now, I'm not talking about blind obedience that follows something besides the word of God. I'm talking about understanding your leaders are connected to Christ and know Christ. And if you are well-schooled in the word of God, you actually know when they're getting off and when they're not. And if they're not straying from the word of God, then you just need to sit still and do what you're told. If we're going to defeat Satan's strongholds, we have to do it together. We have to do it as one body. We have to get united and stop with all of our ideas. Because if we don't, we're simply going to stay in the wilderness. This generation Joshua led was prepared. They knew their task. They knew what they were supposed to do. They understood who the enemy was. And they understood that they had absolutely no power at all to defeat the enemy in that land. But they served a God who had all the power. And that God would be with them. And he would take down every stronghold they faced if they would stay unified, obey the word of God, and listen to the leadership that God provided for him, for them. Today is a communion, a Passover celebration for us. Because it speaks of the unity of the church. We follow Jesus Christ, the Lamb who laid down his life for us. And as he laid down his life for us, we should be willing to lay down our lives, thank you, for one another. The bread that's being passed out that we hold until we bless it represents the body of Jesus Christ. See, he was willing to pay the price so that we could be here today. He was obedient to his Father. He wasn't coming into the world to do what he wanted to do. He was here to follow the plan and purposes of God laid down from the beginning of the world to redeem mankind. Because sin had entered the picture, and sin was taking people down. Sin is always destructive. Sin always leads to death. But there was no way that we could break the hold of death on us. There was no way that we could be God's people. There was no way that the sin problem in our lives could be taken care of, because we couldn't earn our way to salvation. We could never be good enough for God. We couldn't do what needed to be done to save ourselves. There had to be a sacrifice. There had to be a lamb. And so Jesus Christ came into the world as that sacrifice, as that lamb. And he laid down his life for us. And this represents his body that was broken for us. The Apostle Paul told us that before we ever sit down to remember the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ, that we should come prepared, that we should understand the communion service is taking place and our hearts are prepared before we get here. Because he said, if there's somebody, a fellow brethren in the church that you got a problem with, you need to make that right before ever you sit down at the communion table. If there's sin in your life, that you haven't taken care of. You know you're not 100% obedient to the call of God because you're still holding on to certain areas. He goes, you need to settle that before you take the communion service because this is a method of blessing to us. But it's only a blessing if we do it the Lord's way. If we think it doesn't matter and that we can do it our way, Moses was very clear to the people. You do it your way, then you don't get blessing. You get cursing. And Paul picked up that thought. He said, that's why many of you are sick. Because you insist on taking the communion supper on your own terms instead of God's terms. It isn't about what you want or you feel or anything else. If there's sin in your life, it needs repented of before you take it. Otherwise, you get a curse instead of a blessing. But boy, what a blessing it is to God's people, marked for the kingdom through the circumcision of heart and knowing that we have been called by his grace and not by anything that we have done. Father, we ask your blessing upon this bread and what it means because indeed we are here because of your calling. And Lord, help us to understand that you are the lamb that was sacrificed for us. You did give your body to be broken for us, even though none of us deserved it. That's a picture of love. So may we take it now with clean hands and clean hearts, knowing that your way, a way to have sin taken care of, is the way you have given to us. And may we be obedient to your word, and may your blessing rest upon us, In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. God bless you as you take the bread. As the cup is being passed, the cup represents the blood of Jesus Christ. It's his blood that defeated Satan. And that's what we always have to remember. Satan has been defeated. He lost at the cross. Death was conquered. Jesus Christ came back. Death couldn't hold him in the grave and Satan couldn't hold him in the grave no matter how much he wanted to because he didn't have the power. He couldn't do it. Excuse me. In all Satan's rebellions against God, he's lost every time. But he just keeps on. And he lies to us and tells us that there's a better way than the way of the cross. But that's the way to eternal life and all the discussions out there in the culture about other ways, you want to grab hold of a truth, you grab hold of the truth that Jesus Christ is the only way. And if you don't get any other truth than that, get that one. There is no other way to eternal life. And we have eternal life through Jesus Christ. And the problem with Satan is that he knows that means We're not afraid to die. And we need to start acting like a church that's not afraid to die. That we are willing to sacrifice to be obedient to the word of God. If it means redirecting our time, we sacrifice time. If it means losing a job, lose the job. If it means that you're not going to be as comfortable as you thought, well, get over it. You have to be 100% committed. And you're committed to Jesus Christ and what he did at the cross And we are saved we have eternal life because of his blood The blood of Jesus Christ is the only answer to sin And as long as we play with sin as long as we think sin doesn't matter as long as we think sin is just uh, Something that's yeah it's bad sins, but you know, there's those little white sins. They're not so bad. You're never going to get there We should be able to look at the harvest field today and see what has happened because of sin. The brokenness in people. The addictions of people. Families that are fractured. People that are committing suicide. People selling other people. People that care nothing. Every day in the paper, someone's shooting somebody. Shooting little kids. That's what happens when Satan's in control. He doesn't care about life. He doesn't care about your happiness. He presents a pretty picture to make you think he does. But everything Satan does leads to death. And the only way you can escape death is through what this cup represents, the blood of Jesus Christ. Father, we hold this cup up and, again, ask for your blessing on it. Knowing that as you bless it, it is indeed a cup of eternal life to us. And may we understand the callings that you have on our lives. You own us. You are the commander of the army. You are the head of the church. You are the one who bought the church with your precious blood. And Lord, we belong to you. We don't belong to ourselves. We don't belong to Satan either. We belong to you. And may we begin to grasp hold of that truth. And may that truth be real to us. Bless us now as we take this cup together. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Receive it as we close. But I want to leave you with one last thought before we sing about the faithfulness of God. When I first started the role of senior pastor, And we were going through so much turmoil, so much upset, so many people just doing all kinds of unimaginable things. The Lord spoke to me and he told me not to worry because what he wanted was Gideon's army. And I've always been asked by people, doesn't it bother you? that the seats aren't filled and, you know, the people keep moving away. And I can honestly say it doesn't. Because I know the Lord is forming Gideon's army. He's looking for people of the hand, people that scoop up the water. Read the story if you don't know what I'm talking about. Because God looks at the heart. And to make it in this coming harvest field, he needs people of the hand people that know what they're doing, people that know the word, aren't ashamed to talk about it, can stand up to questions, can do what needs to be done. And if you're here and you intend to stay, you're part of Gideon's army. And read about Gideon because he wants people whose hearts are tuned to him. We've had way too much of people following people I like this, but I had to go with my friends. Well, you go with your friends. Some of your friends have taken other friends straight to hell. I do know that. You need to be careful who your friends are. But Gideon's army isn't concerned about all the people that drank the other way. Gideon's army was an army that would say, we couldn't do it, but we served a God who could. And if you serve a God who serves, does the impossible, then you are going to see things happen in this season called spring. But don't think for a minute it's going to be easy. We are in a war, and you will be led into that war by Jesus Christ himself. But God is always faithful, and when he calls his people, he equips them to do the work. So if you're sitting there thinking, I can't do it. I don't know what to do. The Lord, through the Holy Spirit, will equip you if you've got a heart that says, I want to be part of that army. For 82 years, he's been faithful to us, and we close singing about his faithfulness. If you want someone to pray with you, just step out and come. But let's know that He will continue to be faithful for the next 82 years. I was going to quote the verse, but I'm not going to quote it now. That Josh, Moses said to Joshua, or Joshua said when he got started, because when Joshua got started, the first thing he said to the people was, "Moses, my servant, is dead, and I am not dead, and not planning to be dead for a while." So Joshua can't quite say that yet. I'll be here. I intend to let the Holy Spirit show me what to do in this next part too. But to equip for the next thing, we need people that know Jesus Christ is Lord. He has been faithful for over 82 years to this church. And he will continue to be faithful. If you believe that, you get equipped. And so now, here's the part I will miss the most. That's being able to bless you as God's people. Because it is a privilege to be able to bless God's people. So raise your hands for a blessing. Not the final blessing you'll receive ever, but the final blessing from me in this place. May the Lord bless thee and keep thee. May the Lord make his face to shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. And may the peace of God that passes all understanding keep your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. God bless you. (laughs)